oh, we got a gospel choir today. Okay, but for real, I sing that after my kids pray grace at lunch. And the boys have started catching on, so they, like, will sing it with me. It's really That's cute. awesome. They're going to do that, like, when they're um, in college and they're in the refectory and they're, um, you know, saying grace before their meal and they're just going to break out in a gospel choir and everybody's just like, what is going on? But then it's going to start a movement. <laughs> Who are these crazies? And it's all going to go back to you and you're going to be famous. That's, that's the prophecy of the day. I mean, that's... Okay, Here. sounds good. <laughs> Didn't they used to, what was the uh, like flash mob mm-hmm. type of things where they would just randomly show up in the mall? Yes. Yeah. And, but those were, I mean, I feel like that was more of when we would have been in high school. You yeah. You a lot of that. And then it kind then of it died. trailed off. I yeah. specifically remember downloading a video clip of that onto my iPod Nano and watching it during exam week in school when you were allowed to have your iPods out. Thought it was so cool. <laughs> Did iPods talk about like a blast from the past, right? Uh, did you guys have, so you had a Nano, Father. Mary-Kate, did you have an iPod or anything? I did. It was one of those small ones with a little circle shuffle, on it. Shuffle, probably. I don't know the name of it. Oh, Yeah, shuffle, it was a yeah. shuffle. Didn't have a screen on it? Yeah. I started out with an iPod Nano. I remember it was yellow, gold or so. And then I went to the iPod Touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still have that, but it's, I mean, it, it's dead. I don't use it anymore. But I thought I was like the hip kid to have that. But I started out with a Sony Walkman. Oh, man. Go back. <laughs> Bringing it way back. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't even remember how I got it. Maybe my uncle gave it to me when he upgraded to something to an iPod or something he gave me his Walkman or something like that I thought it was so cool but then you could only listen to one CD at a time that's true did you guys see that ad for the whole new like Apple Vision lenses whatever I don't know what it's called did you see that I feel like I did it's it's pretty crazy like you can watch it's like a trailer for the release of this product you can watch it on YouTube but it's it's basically like you, you put on what looks like virtual reality goggles and it basically makes the screen of your iPhone like look like it's in real life. And so you can, uh, you have these virtual reality goggles on and you can click like YouTube and then the screen shows up and then you can use your fingers to kind of like expand it. And it's, you can like watch this massive video in your, whatever room you're in. Cause you're wearing these goggles. I mean, it's, it's insane. Like it's, it's kind of cool, kind of, like, oh boy, for for the people who are, you know, worried about, uh, I don't know. Already addicted to their phones as yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't know, but it was, it was fascinating. Well, so is it, is it powered by, is it like AI? Is that what it is? Or, I, I, or is it just like virtual reality? Well, I guess it's all kind of. I don't know. Same. It's just basically like what you would normally see mm-hmm. on your phone. Now you're seeing when you just like look up in the room, just, like it's just surrounding you. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I think back to the virtual reality thing that Mary Kate and Jason have. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the roller coasters. coasters. <laughs> <laughs> and then the dinosaurs are coming <laughs> after you. <laughs> that was fun. No, I haven't seen that. I'll have to. Well, I also don't have an iPhone, so mm. that's uh, you know, I still am looking for the droids. But it, did That's, either of you get that? It was a Star Wars. Star Wars. So I figured Star it was Wars either Star Wars yeah. or like a drug reference. Like, 
The droids? I don't know. It just sounds like a drug that the young That's people roids. are doing these days. The roids. Well, yeah. Well, there's roids, but then there's droids. Oh. I, I don't know. <laughs> you said that as we were both taking a drink of coffee. Perfect. Uh, so, but have do you guys know what yeet means? I mean, I mean, Why I know the reference. I don't know what it literally eat. means, but I know it, it's a thing. Uh, same. Okay, because like the youth kids will use this. They'll say, yeet. "I'm like, what does this mean?" And then they try to tell me, and they're like, "Oh, you just eat something." And I'm like, that's been what? around for a while too. Like that's not <laughs> like, super new. Oh, I'm well. Then I'm behind the times, uh, which isn't surprising. <laughs> but and then I said something to him that we would. Uh, I said Gucci or something to him because I like to say Gucci in re- reference to it being good. And they're like, what does that mean? And I told him and they're like, oh, you're too old to use use that. I was like, what? <laughs> like, whatever. I try to keep up with these kids. It's not worth it. It's, it's not I, worth oh it. Oh my gosh, we both said it the same thing. <laughs> oh. It's true. It's like, ah, whatever. Yeah. I realized, well, I mean, it's been sobering, especially this past year with youth ministry of realizing oh my gosh, I'm over 10 years older than all of these kids in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we talk about the fact that father just had his birthday? Like, at the beginning of this month? 30 yeah. years old. You're so I old, know. father. Hey, father, we're we're not that far behind you. So. Wait, I thought both of you were older about than it. me. No. Shoot. I turned 30 in September. Okay. And I'm in February. Oh... So you're so just I'm blazing the, the charge. Trail. Yeah, you're just blazing the trail. Wow. For us. Well, ladies, this is what you have to look forward to. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> speaking. So speaking of thirty, I was listening to um, the uh, the What God Is Not podcast. I was listening to one of these episodes. And Mother Natalia was sharing how she's she runs now. Uh, she loves to run, but she never used to run. And she was apparently her and Mother Gabriella are training for a. Mar- a half marathon it's a half marathon mm-hmm. and uh mother natalia was sharing she's like man or they were talking and yeah i don't remember if it was mother natalia or mother gabriella they said once you hit 30 like things start hurting that you never thought would hurt like when you reach 30 and i'm thinking my body hurts now like, <laughs> what am i in for maybe it'll be re- the reverse maybe I it'll be so. like a benjamin button thing and you'll actually like regress with uh, bad health it, I, I would just maybe just regress in the pain in my knees and hips would be great. Yeah. My thing is, it's because I ran so much growing up, you know, and since I was, I think I started running when I was 11 or 12 and ran all through high school. I mean, we're talking during high school, I would run 500 plus miles from June 1st to August 31st. So I just did damage to my joints. And so be great if we could regress on that but yeah we digress we should probably talk lest about we digress i will oh my gosh we are on the same page today ladies wow Holy this is smokes. what happens when you turn 30 start reading minds it, yeah <laughs> i've had that for right. a while actually well, well there you go well we're excited to be back everyone uh so welcome to our classical banter uh it's, Man, it's been a while since the three of us have been able to chat for a while, so it's good. It's good. And Father Kevin, you have today's episode, so 
What you sure do. Well, the Holy Spirit has today's episode, well, and we're going to try okay. to cooperate. That's, that's, that's true. That's mm, true. Mm. Gospel. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm not super well prepared for this, but um, I think we would all be able to have something to say regarding this topic. I just thought it'd be kind of cool to get your thoughts on um, like homilies um, slash sermons. I was, I was saying earlier, I know Emma and myself have experience um, preaching in the liturgical context. I preach homilies as a priest. Um, when Emma had a background um, of, of being a pastor um, before coming back to the Catholic Church, she had experience with um, delivering sermons. And so uh, the two of us have been on the kind of uh, giving end of um, preaching, and all three of us have obviously been on the receiving end of preaching. And so I thought a little bit of catechesis, but then also just kind of like sharing our own personal opinions about what is it that makes a homily, um, I don't know, like what, what are we looking for in a homily? When we say that was a good homily, like what what is that referring to? Is it because it was entertaining and it had a good joke in it? Was it merely because it was memorable? Does it change the way we live our lives? Um, like, like what is it that we're looking for in a homily, which is um, helpful for me as I, because I, I often don't get a lot of like detailed feedback on homilies other than, you know, nice homily father, but like, what's, what's it good for me to know as a priest about what uh, you people who are a captive audience to my homilies um, would want a priest to know about, Hey, you know, like it, I would really appreciate it if X, Y, and Z. And, and I know everybody has their opinion and it's like, what, if, if you can be inspiring and encouraging and rooted in scripture and have a good story, make it relatable, um, and do it all under four minutes, like that would be great, right? So everyone has their, um, if only you would do this, then it would be the perfect homily. But I figured we'd um, be able to just chat a little bit about um, that whole topic. So I know it's, I'm, I'm keeping it kind of broad um, at first um, on purpose. So just whoever wants to kind of um, jump in here, feel free. Um, I think I had, I had two thoughts while you were speaking, Father. Um one of the most powerful um, homilies I ever heard was one sentence. And the priest pointed at the crucifix and said, he died for you. And then he went back to his seat. And like, it was so like pointed and also just so powerful to think about because I think this was actually during Lent. Um, and it really gave people something to think about because you're sitting there, you get, you're sitting in your seat, you're getting ready for your, the homily, and then it's just, he died for you. And I thought that was really powerful. Um, and then another thing that I thought of was this story that Father Jose tells about how he had this homily that was like about how the sacraments are like coupons. They basically give you free grace, and people need to be... Um, using that that grace more they need to be using the sacraments more and someone came up to him after um after he gave his homily after mass and said father that was a great homily i'm going to start using coupons more right exactly <laughs> and it's like that yeah. was not the point of the homily <laughs> right. um and then I, I i know he has said also like sometimes you think you really rocked the homily and no one says anything and then you think you gave just a kind of 
crappy homily and people will come up and say, wow, that was really amazing. And so I think it's more lowering expectations maybe about uh, what you can do and letting the Holy Spirit use you to get across what he wants the people to know. I, th- I think what you said uh, at the end, Mary Kate, is, is key. It's, it's it's about the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit want to convey? And I think I've said this on the podcast before, and I but I always go back to it because it's so beautiful. And I love this nun, uh, the sister. Um, uh, Father Kevin's going to fangirl here for a second. Uh, sister Miriam James Heidland uh, will often say before she gives a talk, she's like, the most important thing you will hear tonight or today or this morning, whatever, is not what I say, but it's what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you through me as a vessel. And I, th- I think that's, um, I come back to that so often, because even though I'm not giving homilies now, um, I still give a lot of talks, and I give a lot of presentations still. I do a lot of teaching. And so I, my prayer, even in preparing for something like that is, well, okay, Lord, what is it that you want to convey? Uh, but when I think back to when I was, um, you know, wannabe Protestant pastor and pursuing that route and preaching a lot, I had the, the beautiful opportunity uh, the summer of 2014 to work as an intern, uh, as like a ministerial intern at a parish or at a church. And part of what I was tasked with was planning the worship services even including the music, scripture passages, everything. Like I was tasked with doing all of that. And then I was preaching uh, at least twice a month, I think. But then I would travel around and fill in for others. What I I, I focused on, well, what I learned uh, was a couple of things. And so I'm just going to bullet point these things and then we can discuss or share experiences and or father if you have any feedback Um, but these are just my initial thoughts to have some sort of obviously there's evidence that i have prayed with the scripture passage right Um, obviously in the mass we have if it's a daily mass non-solemnity daily mass because i think of this morning is the solemnity of the nativity of john the baptist and it's like a full sunday mass but we have the first reading the responsorial psalm and the gospel or if it's a Sunday Mass, we have the first reading, Responsorial Psalm, second reading, and Gospel. When planning, has the, the priest or the deacon spent time praying with, with, with the scriptures? Doesn't matter, whatever, just one of the readings, right, that they want to expound on or if they want to expound on a couple of them. Like, uh, and, and it's having went through this summer of doing this ministerial internship, right, and preaching and things, it's a little easier for me to notice if the priest right? Or the deacon has prayed with the scripture because that's what I was tasked with doing, right? You sit there and you pray, what is the Lord speaking? Uh, but then also spending some time pulling apart. Are there words in the, the the passage that maybe would be helpful to pull apart? What did they? What do they mean? Like, where does this come from? And how does that help convey the message, right? Um, also being able to relate it to personal experience, right? Like how me, when I was preparing, how does this scripture passage, how do I notice it in my life, right? Or do I have a story that can relate to X, Y, and Z, right? So that personal experience. Uh, But then also, the why is this important? So conveying the why, right? Because it's one thing to just say like, oh, this is what Jesus means in this passage, or this is what St. Paul is saying, or this is what we're hearing about in the Old Testament. Okay, but well, why is it important? So these are some of the things that I would, when I was preparing sermons, um, and now even if I'm giving a talk or a presentation that involves 
a scripture passage particularly, these are some of the things that I look for um, to help to try to convey. But then also there's, like I said, there's the openness to the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, Lord, obviously, like, this is what I'm thinking, but you know the people who are going to come. Like, what do what do they need? But I think those are some of the things that I look for um, when I'm preparing and when I was preparing. Uh, prayer, familiarity with the scripture, like you've prayed with it. Pulling apart, if there's specific words that stick out, well, okay, maybe what is it? Greek, Hebrew, Latin, what does this word mean? And how do we get to this understanding? So the exegesis of it. And the um, exegesis is just the pulling apart, the study of the scripture. But etymology is also with the word, understanding what the word means. Um, And then tying it into that personal relate, like experience and why this is important. So those are just some of my initial thoughts. But Mary Kate, go for it. Um, One thing really stuck out to me as a person who hears a homily literally every weekend. Stories stick with people. And also when I'm like public speaking, I know that or even when I've heard talks given, people relate to stories. People relate to conversion stories. They relate to all of these things that kind of give them a clue into that you know what you're talking about. Um, so I think that's that's really key there that you mentioned that. Well, and stories usually indicate then that you really have spent time reflecting and praying with this scripture for it to call to mind some experience or some encounter with Jesus in your own life. Yeah, I try to do that. I don't always, and I would rather not include a story if I'm, in, in, instead of forcing it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. I would want to, I, I really want to make sure that there is a point to this, that it connects. Um, and I don't want to try to just throw in a story just to throw in a story. Just yeah, like it can't don't be wanna, forced. Right. You don't want to throw in a joke just to throw in a joke. Yeah, no, those those are all good. And in my mind, I want to go down seven different avenues. I was like, which one do we go? But um, maybe even just to that last point, yeah, I, I think that um, the, the preacher is is charged with this task of being a bridge for people to the word. And so um, if you think about a bridge, you need that solid foundation on both sides, right? So you got to be... Um, you got to be immersed in the scripture and you got to be immersed in all of the scholarly sort of research behind it and, and really know what it is that um, the word of God is saying. But then you have to know uh, where your people are at and you have to be able to, as you're delivering uh, this homily, uh, it, it can't just be like a straight up lecture and just like drop some truth bombs on them and walk away. And and it's also kind of interesting too, and it's, it's beautiful that there's such a diversity with, um, I'm thinking specifically in the Catholic context with with preaching homilies, um, you, you get such a diverse group of priests, right, with their different personalities, their different um, gifts, and just the way in which that comes out in their preaching. Um, you can have uh, the, the same Sunday gospel readings, you have 10 different priests, they all have like 10 different homilies, right, because they all have with their own unique experiences or, or what's, what's sticking out at them. And so, um, sometimes in order to be an effective bridge, um, you can lead with a story as a way to kind of capture someone's attention and start to draw them into, okay, how does this word of God that was written 2000 years ago still apply to my life today? So you're, you're seeking to be um, a bridge, but that means you kind of have to have solid footing in uh, both worlds, the world of uh, your people, and as well as um, the world of the, the original context of scripture. So that was just one thing that came to mind there um, among many. 
and something else that I thought of as you were when you said this bridge between the people and, and God, also that a homily or even just any kind of presentation, I, I tried to do this when I was preaching, uh, was to give some sort of action point or a point for response or challenge, right? Like So that throughout the week, there's something that, that they could be meditating with, praying with, reflecting on, etc. Something to give some sort of response because I've heard plenty of homilies, right, where there's no kind of challenge, right, or no kind of call to conversion point. Uh, because the homily is a, is a, an important part of the liturgy, right? And and so it shouldn't just be glossed over, but it should really, it, it should really aim to penetrating our hearts to offering us this time of or this chance, an opportunity for conversion and and for responding to grow in in love with you know with Jesus, and and then our our Christian morals as well. And. One one point that I want to make too is in in what you said with it's not to be glossed over. I know sometimes I'll joke about how because of my kids I don't even get to hear the homily, um, but in a certain sense, sometimes sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not. Um, it's not like I'm sitting there like oh because the kids are being wiggly or whatnot. I'm just gonna focus on them and not try to pay attention. Like no like. Even as a parent, you should be trying to listen to the homily and not just be like, oh, it's just the homily. I don't have to pay attention. No, you should be paying attention because the Holy Spirit wants you to hear something in each and every homily. It doesn't matter if you don't think you can get anything out of it or what you do hear, you're like, eh, I don't know if that was for me. If you pray on it, there's something the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you in each and every homily you hear. Um, and so I think that's really important is that like, yeah, while I may joke, oh, I don't even get to hear the homily. It's not like um, parents should just be not paying attention. They should be trying to pay attention even while wrangling their kids. Um, and so that's that's a point that I really wanted to make. Yeah. And, and to go back to that image of the bridge from earlier, um, you can you can use that image to apply it to a number of different things. So on the one hand, the preacher is trying to bridge what the word of God uh meant, you know, when it was originally written 2000 years ago, and then how that, um, how that applies, um, to our current circumstances. So you're kind of this in between the word of God and the people, but then Emma, like you were mentioning, um, it's, it's not as if we just show up to mass on Sunday and we hear the homily. And then that's the only thing that happens at mass, right? It's, it's strategically placed towards the end of the liturgy of the word, as we're getting ready to transition into the liturgy of the Eucharist. And so, one of the points of the homily is not merely, you know, to kind of pump me up and uh, entertain me or whatever, like you might get in more of these um, Protestant circles where the sermon is the center point of the whole service and, and preaching can go on for 40 minutes or, or longer. Um, there's that specific um, purpose that we have in the Catholic Church in the context of the liturgy where um, one of the things that the homily is trying to do is uh, – to open us up to a more fruitful reception of the Eucharist as we transition into the liturgy of the Eucharist. And so, um, yeah, so that's why we can go and you you can give like a terrible homily and the mass is still going to be valid. You'll still receive Jesus and that's, that's fine. But I I just remember in seminary, they kind of stressed this point that, um, so I, yeah, so you can be like a really, um, just lousy priest 
have a lousy homily and Jesus will still show up in the Eucharist and you'll still receive grace. But there is something about when the priest is holy and you can sense that and the homily is delivered in such a way that it really opens up your heart um, to want to receive Jesus and to ask for more graces, then the sacrament is able to be more uh, fruitful in you. So that's um, you know something to keep in mind as well. In the liturgical context, what's what's the point, so to speak, of the homily? Well, it's, it's to teach, but then it's also to prepare us um, for the Eucharist, which then uh, sends us out into the world. So we, we can't forget about that um, Eucharist part. It's not merely, I'm going to preach, now go out and do something about it in the world. Um, otherwise, Mass would just stop right there. It's, it's significant that we have the Liturgy of the Eucharist right afterwards. Mm-hmm. So you know, with the Liturgy of the Word, it's important to remember like Jesus himself is the Word. He is the Logos, right? We don't just come to Mass just to receive Jesus in the Eucharist, but we come to feed on him through Scripture because he is the Word. And I mean, you could sit there and, and just reflect on that, you know, take that to prayer. You know, John, this Gospel of St. John, the first chapter in the first few verses, like the word was made flesh, right? Jesus is the word. And so the readings, I know that it can be so tempting to just kind of check out during the readings and not pay attention. But part of active participation in mass is being attentive, right? Being attentive and listening to the word because we're not just listening to somebody read stories out of scripture, we're listening to the spoken word of Jesus himself, right? Like the, the logos, the word made flesh. And so it, it's only fitting that we get fed with him uh, as the word, and then we get fed with him as the word made flesh in the Eucharist. When somebody explained that to me when I was first coming back to the church, I mean, that revolutionized just the way that I, I looked at entering into the readings even the responsorial psalm, I know some of us can check out completely during the responsorial psalm and not the, not recognizing the importance of that. And maybe at some point we can talk about more about the importance of the liturgy of the word as a whole. There's, there's importance, and even in the homily is, is the priest, right, who stands in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, is saying, this is the word of, of God, like this is Jesus, and he's breaking it open. Just as when we go to the altar the place of sacrifice. Jesus is blessed and broken, right? The same thing, you know, the, the readings, the sacred scripture, it's, it's sacred. There's a reason why it's sacred scripture. And the priest takes it, the priest or the deacon takes that, breaks it open for all of us to receive in a very beautiful, intimate way. And so it's, I, I think if we, we look at it that way, um, it can really revolutionize how we enter into active participation in that part of the Mass. Because, like I said, we don't just come to Mass to receive Jesus in the Eucharist, even though that's the source and summit, that's the high point, is communion with Him. And, and the Eucharistic prayer is the, the highest form of prayer. When we enter into the liturgy, the Word it is important as well. Yeah, as you were talking about the importance of, you know, the Word, it just made me think of, you know, the fact that the Gospels are kissed during the Mass. And, and how important that is, you know, because, you know, we're, we're being fed with the word, but we're also being fed with the Eucharist itself, and both are important. And that's why, like, nothing we do in the Mass is just there because. Everything is there for a reason. Um, and I think it's, it's so important. I think that's always glossed over is that, you know, the Gospels are kissed, but there's a reason. There's a reason behind everything. Father, why, why do you venerate 
uh, why do you kiss the book of the Gospels or the Gospels after you're finished proclaiming it? Right, and we do that for um, the altar as well. You'll notice at Mass, um, the priest uh, will venerate the altar at the at the start and at the end, um, as well as, I mean, this is, this is a gesture for um, relics as well. Um, and, you know, if you're a, a beautiful Middle Eastern Christian brother or sister, you're going to kiss a lot of statues and crucifixes. I, I saw this at seminary. It's, it's beautiful. But yeah, just depending on your culture, um, that, that can be a, well, if you're, uh, something yeah, that East, you do. Eastern Catholic, you kiss icons, you know, you venerate the icons, you know. Right, right. And so, I mean, actually, I'm, my brain's a little bit fuzzy on that. If, if, any of, if either of you know some of the history behind it, I mean, I know part of it had to do with um, when there were relics in the altar, like in the catacombs as, as a way to venerate. But if, if you have more to say about that other than, yeah, whatever, if you want to. So it's the veneration is a, we venerate things that are holy, right? Recognizing that there's something special about them. Uh, and it was, I mean, venerating the, the altar. So, it, I mean, it used to be, especially in the early church, it was not uncommon for uh, the, the, holy sacrifice of the mass to be celebrated on the tombs of martyrs of other holy people so there's there's a significance there that it goes back clear to, i mean we're talking like first century right really early church that that's they would celebrate the mass on the altar or on the the, the tomb of those who have gone before and so when we we venerate when we kiss we recognize that this person right was holy so we can venerate the relics as a sign of respect. Um, but then we can also, I mean, a profound bow also is, is another act of veneration. Uh, and so when we kiss the book of the Gospels, right, um, when a priest, kissed, a priest or deacon will, will kiss the book of the Gospels or the Gospel passage, it's that recognition, that outward sign of showing that respect and that dignity that these are the words of Christ, right? And we hold them in, in high esteem. And, and they are sacred and they are special because, again, the word made flesh. And so Jesus is the word. So we, we, we recognize the spoken word. And then, as you mentioned, Father, it was very common to have relics in altars. And so um, that act of if we venerate and we kiss a relic outside of an altar, um, they would kiss and venerate the the altar with, with the relic in it. It's now... It's not quite as common. I mean, I know that it's still common, but not quite as common. Yeah. So when, when you originally asked it, I, I didn't know a ton about necessarily how it developed. But no, I, I think you're right about just the symbolism behind it. Because in, in a sense, the altar is a, a symbol of Jesus. It's not like the Eucharist. The Eucharist, we believe, is uh, the real presence of Christ. But um, if you think about an altar is where sacrifice takes place, Jesus on the cross kind of takes all of sin and death on himself. So Jesus is um, like an altar in that moment. And so when we um, bow to an altar or we kiss the altar, I mean, it's, it's, it's the simple but beautiful gesture of even like a couple and just like a, a kiss on the cheek or a kiss on the forehead. And, you know, it's, it's that sign of um, affection and respect. So, yeah, we, we give that to the Lord who is present, you know, in, in the most, I don't know the word, that you would say, but um, in the Eucharist, but then, yeah, in the word and then in the altar, there's um, a level of symbolism that we want to be able to um, honor in those places as well. Jumping back to the the homily, I often think of um, 
in, in the, the divine liturgy in the Eastern Church, it's common to hear them say, be attentive, be attentive. And I, it, I haven't been to a divine liturgy, so this is just from like podcasts that I've been listening to and then breaking open the liturgy, um, the divine liturgy. But it's common to, for the priest to, to say, be attentive. Um, and I think you know, when, when, when preparing for a homily, um, that could also be something too, just, you know, how am I going to encourage uh, the congregation, right? The, the body of Christ to be attentive, to constantly be attentive, right? Um, to what is, what is happening or what, like, not just to be attentive to what I'm saying, right? To, as an entertainment factor, but to be attentive to the Lord, right? Um, so that was just, that was something that, that popped into my mind. Um, how do we call them? To, how do we call people to be attentive to Jesus and uh, not only His Word, but like how do we apply it then to our lives and be attentive in that ma- manner? So. Well, the, the most um, the the most effective way I can think of doing that is for the preacher himself to first and foremost have the Word uh, preached to him and can, to convict mm-hmm. him. So that's that's what I always when I prepare my homilies, it always starts out, God, what are you saying to me? Mm-hmm. Um, through your word, how are you convicting me to grow in deeper conversion? And then I can speak out of that place. Otherwise, if I'm just like, you lay people need to listen to my advice and like, I have it all figured out, but this is what you need to do. That's why when I preach, I always try to say we, like we need to do this, this or that, not you guys need to do this. Um, So it it always starts with the preacher himself who is in persona Christi and at the Mm -hmm. same time is um, a human being who struggles with sin just like anybody else. Still um, Kevin Wojciechowski, right? Exactly, you know, like, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I think that's really important. Mary-Kate, did you have something? Or, uh, so when I was, um, I used to do the same thing when I was giving sermons. I would try to uh, speak in the the we, you know, context to just say like, look, this is, and I would say this is something I struggle with, right? Or this is something I'm still working on or this, and, or I would give examples of how maybe I'm working to, to grow in this because sometimes giving examples too can also be fruitful and helpful for people because they may not even know where to start, but even providing some personal examples, um, without obviously divulging, like getting too personal, right. Um, but giving some practical tips or things that maybe you've found to be helpful can also be really, um, influential, I think. Because if you ultimately want it to land in people's hearts and not just their minds, um, you need to be able to soften their hearts with your own humility. Like nothing mm-hmm. hardens our heart from someone as much as like when we see that they are prideful or we fear that they have an agenda or something. But when someone um, exudes that level of um, humility and you can tell they're seeking to be of service to the word, it just opens up your heart in more of that trusting posture, um, which the Lord is able to then do more work in your heart. So I, yeah, that's why I think that's so essential. For like a priest or a deacon to constantly be available or at least be in a disposition to be available to receive feedback, right? Because sometimes people will just say, oh yeah, good homily father or whatever, you know, but if you ask them, oh, what did you like about it? You know, like, because I know that there's sometimes it can be easy, like, well, I don't want any feedback, you know, or I think this was a good homily or this whatever, um, but also being open to that feedback. I know some that was something that was fruitful for me when I was giving sermons regularly, is that there would be specific people that I would ask, 
every week. Like, give me an honest assessment. What did you like? What should I work on? So, Mary Kate, did you have anything else? Nope. I think we could easily talk more about the liturgy of the word, but we could save that for another episode. I think there's there's a lot um, there's a lot that goes goes into that. But I was recently um, just one final thought. I was recently reading a book um, that was really kind of breaking open the Vatican II documents and just you know kind of the proper interpretation on it's a word on fire publication uh, and uh, this this priest that was writing the book he shared that when one of his first um, first assignments, he was assigned as parochial vicar of a parish that had a school, and they were dying. Uh, well, not, they were, <laughs> it was struggling, right? And <laughs> they weren't actually, like, physically dying. Uh, but it was, it was struggling, right? I mean, enrollment in the school was down, enrollment in the parish, or, you know, membership in the parish was down. And the, the pastor and the, this, this parochial vicar, they sat down and they decided to start with, um, like, okay, what can we do to kind of get people like what what can we do right obviously like we're struggling and they decided to focus on two things um their homilies and the the sacredness of the liturgy and really just putting everything they could into the liturgy and they found that it was just those two things that started drawing people in and when they started asking people well what why, why did you come like what did you like it, this place was was struggling you know just a year ago and now it's growing and people would say we come because of the homilies and because of this the the, the attentiveness to the liturgy right and so I, for what it's worth like pray for for priests um, and pray for deacons who are also who are charged with preaching the word of god uh, because homilies can have a huge impact like if 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 a priest is, you know, in prayer with the scriptures, pulling them apart, including personal advice or personal experience and stories, uh, it can have a profound impact. I think it can have a bigger impact than what we think it could. Um, so just I, I share that just as an example of how beautiful um, it can be for a parish community for for preaching. Now, I know that's hard for for pastors to put more time into preparing homilies when they're already overworked and busy. Um, but for lay folk, encouragement for the lay folk, um, support your pastor, pray for your pastor and offer to help them. If there's administrative tasks or other mundane tasks that as lay people we can do to help alleviate uh, some of the work that a pastor does so that they can have more time to prepare for homilies or the sacramental needs of the church, which they are called to, um, as part of their vocation, help them, help them. So I put that little plug in because I know Father Kevin uh, understands. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's uh, just a little bit of encouragement because then when we can free them up, we can allow them to have more time to pray, uh, to pastor souls, to counsel souls, right? And to, to serve in the sacramental nature of the church um, to then feed us, right? So... I'm just putting that as a little plug-in for a little challenge for all the lay folk listening. Mm-hmm. And one advice I heard about um, crafting homilies also, also applies to um, co-hosting a podcast. They say, leave a lot on the editing room floor. You don't have to say everything that comes to mind, right? And so for this right. podcast, oh my gosh, I, I still have so much I would rather say, but we're going to leave it all on the uh, 
what is it, the cutting room mm-hmm. floor, whatever it is, um, like for the old film, whatever, and just oh, yeah, yeah. that's enough for today. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it. I think this was good. It was a good starting point. It was. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I enjoy it because. Anyways, Mary Kate, was that a three or an okay? That was an okay. Okay, because you had your fingers like spread apart like three. Got it. Three. Three. Trace. Trace. All right. Well, Father, thank you for that. Um, mm-hmm. thank but you. I think this almost merits another uh, episode on liturgy of the word and things of that nature, too. Add yeah. it to our list of potential topics. Yes. That grows bigger every day. <laughs> <laughs> we should do yeah. this topic. <laughs> right. Put it on the list. <laughs> yep. We'll pray about it. All right. Well, let's go into One Joy's... Uh, I'm still thinking. I have one. Okay. Um, All right. So my one joy for this week is this weekend, my um, two of my nephews that live in Florida are going to be coming up here for a couple weeks. And uh, in in about a week and a half, my brother and sister-in-law and the rest of the kids are going to be coming up to spend uh, another like week and a half here with the family so just excited to see my nephews spend some time with them and then eventually spend time with my brother and sister-in-law and the rest of their kids so looking forward to that awesome i am gonna make up for lost time out of all the times where we've had one joys and you've all like well i have two one joys this week and i always just stick with one because i'm a rule follower well guess what they're all coming out now so i have like seven one joys all right (laughs) should you Um, leave those on the cutting room floor (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I will at least be brief. Um, so had a really good retreat uh, at the beginning of the month. Uh, we have a new principal for the school. My sister had a baby, little Jeannie Rose. Everybody's healthy now. And uh, she was baptized recently. I got to be the godfather. Um, I went to an Eric Church concert last night with one of my, one of my buddies. And yeah, just a lot of awesome things happening right now. A lot of causes for joy. So there you have it. Sweet. Oh, I think uh, a cause for joy uh, for me. Mm, I really wasn't thinking as you guys were talking. Emma. <laughs> uh, no, so uh, this potentially might be done by the time or might be passed by the time this episode released. But in a couple of weeks, taking a group of young people to Steubenville Youth Conference. So uh, that's more of an anticipatory one joy. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. It's... Uh, it's always nice to go back to uh, Franciscan University. So, yeah. So just, I'm also using that as a plug to pray for, uh, pray for the conference, pray for the kids and things like that. So I've heard from friends who have already taken uh, kids to, to the conference that it is, um, it is fantastic. So awesome. Yeah. Cool. Alrighty. Well, thanks guys. Father Kevin, Thank you. it's good to see you. Yeah. Yeah. Good to see you guys too been a while so all right it has been a while cool well until next time everyone peace out dudes adios Deuces.